0: Robert, how are you doing? I'm good, bro. Not too bad at all. How about you, how are you?
1: Very well. Um, it's It's been a productive week. It's been a week where, once again, i got to spend a lot of time with the family, but also just trying to make a few initiatives progress. So um, I'm acclimatizing to this new normal of COVID. Um, how about you?
0: Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit more. So you're, you're working on some new initiatives as well as what you've you've already got on your plate. Can you share a little bit about these initiatives? What are you up to? I
1: can. So um, from a moral standpoint, so I think people already know that I've got a background in education. Um, I'm currently trying to raise funds for children who don't have laptops during this time period. Um, As you can imagine, school children being at home for the last 12 weeks would have had adverse effects on some of their progress. And what we're realizing is that there's a digital poverty Some pupils may not have been impacted as many as much as others, but for some, the prospect of working from home is almost impossible. Not only due to living arrangements, but also due to the fact that there's maybe one or no laptops, and that laptop's potentially being shared by four or five people who need it maybe three kids, maybe two parents. So, currently trying to see who can this sounds like a plug who can invest into providing devices for. School children. So that's one of. Let,
0: let that be a plug. If anybody's listening, you can invest. Let's make it happen.
1: Definitely, definitely, it's a great cause. Um, if you can help in any way, it'll be amazing. Doing a lot of research, I've recently discovered that we're not the only ones trying to do this. I know Arsenal Football Club, you know the greatest football club in the world, has recently donated 250 laptops to their local community. So, if you are able to please reach out to your local schools governors they are in need but they're probably not asking right now
0: just 250 arsenal only (laughs) only
1: 250 unfortunately
0: well i guess that's about the same as their most recent transfer in terms of value so let's not
1: go there how about
0: yourself um good very busy so working with a lot of startups at the moment and providing just support, consultancy, mentoring. And what I'm noticing is just a a certain level of invigoration, a certain level of energy from professional entrepreneurs to people who are working uh, at their own business uh, from a, a side hustle perspective. There are a lot of people who want to develop some form of income security, a lot of people who want to be their own boss. And I'm sure that the COVID-19 period has helped to catalyze that fact, but it's very good to see how many people, how many unassuming people have got beautiful ideas kind of hiding in their head. And now they're starting to, to try and make them a reality. So quite busy because I'm providing some support and I'm also having to give some people some very hard truths about their dreams and their vision. But Ultimately, you know, hopefully by the end of this year, there'll be four or five new businesses making money and also adding value into the ecosystem.
1: Brilliant. I've recently heard that this time period being described as an unnatural experiment, in that no one would opt for this to happen. But during this unnatural experiment, we are going to see what works and what cannot. If you can get a startup up and running in this environment, then you can in any.
0: If anybody wants to think a little bit more about that discussion, starting a, a new business at this period, go back to our episode, Navigating COVID-19. Shameless plug, but it's a great episode for, for anybody who wants to start a business, build a business during these uncertain times.
2: Brilliant.
1: And welcome to Expensive Lessons. Uh, This is the podcast where we humbly and proudly bring about company directors to share their journey and to share the expensive lessons that they have learnt. Um, I'm really proud because today that we have an individual that we have known for a few years now. Um, She is someone who, for me, embodies an element of entrepreneurship which I really want to dig into. I want to understand whether entrepreneurship can be taught or whether it's something that you're born with. Um, so without further ado, um, today we are proud to actually have Asya. Um, Asya is the founder of Alera Jasmine. Um, Alera Jasmine are a clothing brand uh, specializing in African print. Her ability to innovate has seen her reach the heights of Topshop and start other uh, companies such as the Renatural. So Ren- Renatural are a disruptor in the Hair and beauty industry, focusing on applications and processes to perfect and improve just the hair process for women of color or women who just like wigs in general. Um, so, Asia, welcome aboard. I hope I didn't butcher that introduction too much, and I'd love for you to actually introduce yourself
2: properly. Of course not. Thanks for having me on. Um... I'm bad at intros, but my name is Hassia. I am the founder of the and Laura Jasmine, as Afalabi said. Um, I like to, all my brands start with me just liking to make things and it always spirals into something much bigger than myself. Um, Yeah.
1: Let's really get into this because I think that is a great place to start. So you mentioned that all of your brands start with you liking to make things and then almost spiraling into you helping others. Can, can you say more about that?
2: Um, so with my clothing line, I was in university at the time, and I noticed some like really great prints that I didn't see anywhere else. So I started to upcycle them for myself. Um, I uploaded them onto my Tumblr account, where I had a good following at the time, and it got a lot of traction. And, I mean, maybe this is like the... Um, business side of me I was just like hmm people are really liking this and then I set up a website on big cartel I remember that so well because I was struggled that first day um, and uploaded the pictures and we sold all of the fabrics in the next week and I was like this is this is fun this is great um so that was that was how that started and um with the renatural, the renatural natural was more of I had a problem that I really needed to figure out and i tried to figure it out myself and that led me to developing a whole new product and going through the legal process of patenting the product As a very roundabout way of trying to figure out a quicker way to do things but um that's how that happened
1: now the which is your latest company um is currently really promoting the weak fix which yeah. seen all over the internet um and a- Across the ocean, where women are able to secure their wigs without using glue, um, can you just talk to us a little bit as that's your latest product about the process of creating that and, and why that was so important to you and why it's important to so many women?
2: Sure. So I, um, I'll go back all the way to when my undergraduate dissertation. I there's something called follow the thing research. Um, in geography I studied geography VA. Um, so follow the thing basically it was discovered or I don't know uh, written by a guy called Ian Cook and he pretended he was a pap- papaya and he went to Tesco's and bought the papaya and that was like his birthplace and he went back to all the distribution channels all the way to the seed all the way to the farmer that conceptualized a farm that he was going to grow his papayas on and Through that um, journey, you explore a lot of like globalization and like unethical distribution practices and like uh, the economics of the industry. So I decided to do that with wigs because I knew that the industry was so misunderstood, murky, unethical in a lot of ways, unstandardized, no lack of regulations. I knew that because I wore wigs at the time. Um, So... Yeah, so I wrote that, and I became, like, obsessed with the whole industry because I realized there was so little, like, innovation. I'm a beauty fanatic. Like, I love to buy the new things. I love new ingredients. Like, I'm currently obsessed with cactus because that's, like, the new ingredient in beauty right now. Um, And I noticed there was none of that. Nobody was giving me that with wigs. Yes, there were new colors, and um, there were different brands and different, like, quality. Also, they said there were, but no one was giving, like, new products. And I wasn't getting that excitement in that industry. And it was very much needed because um, wigs can be damaging if they're not worn correctly, which a lot of people like the fast process of like many um, beauty methods. So, and wigs can't give that. You need to be like patient. (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to end up with like no edges and with traction alopecia and nobody wants that. So, oh my God, I forgot the question because I went on such a tangent, but...
1: what you've said has led on to so many other questions, but I'm just going to almost take us back and try to do this chronologically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that you studied geography at university, and you're really interested in a, a, a critic or a philosopher who was speaking about follow the thing. Now, listening to yeah. that took me back to when we had Mike Williams on the show, um, the yeah. founder of Lefebik. Um, a synergy between the two of you is that you used your studies in higher and further education to propel your understanding of your industries. So Mike did a master's within the actual Jamaican patty industry, and you oh. used this theory about follow the thing to execute that within their wig industry. My question is, how important was that education to you as a person now? Or is your current position more about more primitive education, i.e. the way you were brought up? So are you here at this current moment in time as Asya, the founder of Alera Jasmine, and Asya, the founder of The Renatural, because of your university education and how you apply that? Or is it because of something f- further back, maybe when you were a child with your parents? Um, I would
2: definitely say it's just down to natural curiosity of wanting to discover things and um, I like to say that two of my worst traits growing up so that was um, I was incredibly stubborn and I was quite lazy as a child as well and that's like developed into two of my greatest like assets in that I'm stubborn so I like I'm that's matured into determination I like to say because I like I never give up on stuff and it annoys me, like it's stressing me out just thinking about the things that I go through just because I want to find the answer to something. And then with the laziness, it's just that I like easy methods and I like the full effect of whatever I'm trying to get. So I'm just like finding the easiest way to get there. So um what's that developed into? Like efficiency, I guess. Um so I definitely say it's like nature or I don't know if this is a nature versus nurture thing, but definitely from childhood and then i would say it was more formalized through education um, that gave me like an arena to explore and to kind of develop those natural skills i would say
1: and digging in a little bit further before i bring abby in so you mentioned your curiosity your stubbornness your laziness but also your efficiency <laughs> um which do sound as if they juxtapose but we've spoken about this previously on the podcast where sometimes your greatest recruit will be someone who's lazy because they'll find the quickest possible way to do what you want you seem to have these skills working together and you're saying that part of it was your nurture now was that explicit from your perspective were were there any things that your parents did or introduced you to um speaking to you recently i've been blown away by your educational experiences in terms of where you've been to so can you just elaborate on How you were brought up, what things you think actually enabled you to become the person you are right now, and whether they're a value.
2: Um sure. So I I was I was raised on I'm an only child. Um and my parents, I mean, people automatically think that you're spoiled or that you were coddled. And I think it's the opposite for me, because my parents are very like, do what you want, (laughs) we only have one of you, how bad can it get? Um, so I was extremely independent. Um I think one of the first things was like booking a trip to Jamaica to volunteer in an orphanage on my mom's credit card without like her authorization how and telling her to drive to the airport. <laughs> and then she was just like so confused and complained all the way to the airport. But I gave her like all of the information and told her it was completely safe. It was four teenagers. And yeah, and then she let me go for like two months and it was amazing. Um, course, so I've course, always-
1: yeah. how, how old were you when this happened?
2: I was, well, 14 going on 15 when that happened. I <laughs> know. <And>, uh, <laughs> but they're just, they kind of, they raise that kind of child, so I don't think they're, like, surprised with anything that I end up doing. How um, did was that kind of child? like, by myself at 10 years old to go and visit my dad because he lived in a different country at the time. And I was going, like, unsupervised, like, 11, um, 11 to 12 years old uh to Ireland all by myself and yeah so and there was like a thing with my dad so it was like I think it was 150 euros at the time to spend to get like a flight attendee to guide your child through the airport or something I used to make a deal with my dad like you know if I can do it all by myself and you just give me the money and he was like sure (laughs) and like looking back it's like oh my god but (laughs) I I turned out okay (laughs)
1: You did. What I'm learning here before I bring Abby in is the importance of us letting go to a certain extent of our children. Um, Yeah, to
2: a certain extent. (laughs)
1: To a certain extent, yes. To a healthy extent, yes. However, you showed the level of initiative and independence to be trusted. If If your father was willing to trust you when you were only in your second decade of being alive to do that, it wasn't just an economical decision. That There must have been something there where he thought, this is a powerful life lesson for my daughter. And that level of autonomy has meant that you aren't afraid in the business world to take risks, because you're taking risks as someone who wasn't even an adolescent. Um, Abby, what are your thoughts?
0: Listening to Asia, I am very disappointed that... <laughs> that the discipline of engineering didn't attract her more because just hearing the characteristics that she had, I think she would have made a fantastic engineer. Obviously, I'm biased because that was my discipline. But the (laughs) thing that engineers seem to all have in common is they're not content with just being consumers. They're obsessed with how things work. So if you put something in front of an engineer, whether it be a television, whether it be a fridge, whether it be a three-course meal, the thing about them is they're not just satisfied with consuming the product put in front of them. They want to know what ingenuity, what design work, what engineering effectively went into that finished product. And that obsession seems to be very prominent with Asia in that she's not content with being a consumer. Something Someone gives her something and she, she walks away with it and enjoys it. No, she needs to know what happens behind the scenes um and i think that's where um innovation comes where people actually dig in and they actually start to identify that actually things could be done differently you could change this you could change that would that be fair asia or have i got you completely wrong
2: yeah i feel like if i ever write a book i should call you because you describe it better than i do and it's about (laughs) me um yeah exactly my second choice was chemistry. Um, you're really uh, selling it to me. I'm just like, hmm, maybe I should go back into education, but um, that's not going to happen at this point. But um, mm-hmm. I get to explore it with the new products that I'm developing. Um, so that's incre- that's so much fun. Um, yeah. I, I, so I, I, I've got questions. another
0: question about about uh, about this time, and it's um, you mentioned growing up in in Northern Ireland, and I've been to. I've been Public. Sorry? Oh, Republic of, wow. Okay. Um, okay. So e- e- even more interesting. So I, I was going to say, I've been to Northern Ireland. I've never been to the Republic of Ireland. And uh, my preconception, my um, prejudice is that it's not a very diverse country and I could be wrong. Mm, um, yeah. uh, but, um, but, but what I want to ask is, well, maybe, just to, to hear a little bit more about your experience growing up in the Republic of Ireland and also whether you think that shaped the entrepreneurial or had any impact in your entrepreneurial journey.
2: Sure. Um, so I was, I'm from London, technically. I lived here until I was 10, then we moved to Ireland. Um, yeah, so when I moved there, God, that was like 15 years ago now. I it was very it's it was very different from what it is now I feel like if I kind of talk about my experiences someone that lives there now couldn't relate especially like um someone in a minority because it was so different like I was the first non-Irish person in my school like non-white Irish not like British or white non-white Irish so um going there and I remember like just there were certain hairstyles we had to wear because it was a convent um they're not as popular in Ireland anymore most of the schools have like congregated into like public schools and due to a policy like a few years ago um But it was a convent and there were only like four hairstyles to choose from. And I remember like picking the ponytail and obviously our hair grows up while my hair grows up. And it was a pineapple. And like the first week, all the teachers just like kind of talking like, "Hmm, how are we going to sort this out? And like, just like really weird things. I remember from when I was a kid, there was um, a massive like, kaylee like an irish dance kind of thing at the end of the year and i remember the teachers telling me to sit out because i didn't match like my makeup and hair just didn't match the style that they were going for and like learning a dance like to a kid that was like a big deal and i remember for the first time like coming from london where everyone is from everywhere and especially in my school um i lived in um north london and going there I just like noticed differences for the first time and I noticed like the way people treat people differently um including like my parents and yeah I I became more um cognizant of like how it's not just you it's people's perceptions of you from a really young age I would say that's what I'll say about that
0: And do you think that has built in a level of resilience in you? Has that hardened you at all? Has it maybe made you a bit more kind of conscious of yourself in different surroundings? Or has it done the opposite? Has it made you more um, robust, more more, um, confident in who you are and uh, able to kind of stand out regardless of what's going on around you?
2: um yeah I would say that it definitely honed my I don't know natural ability to be defiant I don't want to go into horoscopes but it must be something to do with an aquarius apparently my friend told me um when people are telling you that something you're doing is wrong or that you're different and there's something that you can't change like it's never something I like beat myself up about it was always quite different (laughs) like I remember with my friendship group I was the only one with brown eyes. and I remember that being like a thing. And it's just looking back, it's like brown eyes are like 80% of the world's population. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it just made me more like resilient, um, just more confident in who I like always was. Like I never felt out of place. I just felt like you, the people around me aren't experienced enough or have aren't, don't have the experiences I have. And I felt sorry for them. That sounds so cocky coming from like a young child. But um growing up it's just my mum and my grandma they just always told me how amazing I was so it's just like growing up when like other people are telling you like something's wrong with you or that you're different you're you're gonna go back to the to the voices that like your of your guardians and like your parents I mean that's like a psychological thing um a voice in our head is um the voice of our first nurturer so to me, that was definitely my grandma, my mother. And I definitely like hear that still to now, something that you live with. I don't know if you guys hear that or do you know what I'm talking about? Now?
0: Absolutely. I mean, first of all, it's, it's great to hear. And it's something that I'm it's a lesson that I'm taking away because uh, when, when I raise my, my children, I want to make them uh, or, or reassure them that even if the world is going left, they should feel comfortable going right. Yeah. Uh, and, and vice versa. And part of that is just instilling confidence in them. One thing that I'm going to do just by observation is ask my children at a very young age, what do you think? As soon as they're able to talk, I want to know what they think. And I've, I've seen the difference between people who've been asked their opinion as young as the age of five, and been validated by sharing at that young age versus people were encouraged to stay silent when there are adults in the room. Um, and the the other thing that I'll take away from what you said is your experience at a very young age allowed you to feel comfortable standing out. And also um, it, it reassured you that even if you were different, it didn't mean that you were wrong. And that's, I think, another area where we are so tempted by society to conform that sometimes if we have an idea, which will take us off the beaten track, we might discard it because it will take us away from what everyone else is doing. But by being forced into into a space where you're already different by no fault of your own and you learn to feel comfortable being different, then that will, I'm sure, encourage you as an entrepreneur to think differently, to innovate. And that was one of the first things that you mentioned during this discussion that, you know, you're always looking for innovation which in a sense is, how do I do things differently?
2: You articulated that perfectly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it's, it's truly incredible to hear
1: because I'm struggling to separate entrepreneurship and life. And we previously said that, well, the business will never be greater than the entrepreneur. And I think it's one of the reasons why I'm really fascinated by USER you, and your upbringing, because what I'm hearing is the level of autonomy that your parents gave you but also the affirmation that they gave you hand in hand to do what you felt was right. The words that you stated or the words in your head um, originate from your first nurturer is so powerful and reminds us to be extremely intentional with our children. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in, I was fast-tracking you now, we've spoken about those early years. I want to go back to university. Um, I, th- I believe it was a few weeks ago that I learned that you went to university in the Korea.
2: Yeah, I took a few semesters out in Korea, which was fun.
1: <laughs> Please, can you explain how and why and how that may have added to Asia, the entrepreneur, today?
2: Um. So there was just an opportunity on the course. I mean, it's geography, so it's not too far-fetched. Um, and I chose Korea because it was the only option. <laughs> um, and Korea is, like, it's an incredible country. I've always wanted to, always been, like, fascinated with, like, um, countries like Korea and Vietnam and um, Cambodia and how they uh, have developed, and Singapore as well, because it's just um, not that they're... Um, Comparisons that you can make to Africa, but it's just interesting to see how they've developed. Because, yeah, so I went to Korea during um during my time there. I did visit a few like processing factories. So they don't have like manufacturing facilities as they as much as they do in China. They have some really high end um, facilities where they process hair, and it's more like an auction. So I went to a few of those out of interest. I literally found them online. Um, Google Translate, the website, works perfectly. And that was automatically installed. And yeah, I just showed up. I wasn't buying anything. So I really stood out. Not because I was just some black girl in a room full of like older Asian men auctioning off hair. but. I wasn't buying anything so they were just like are you buying anything and I was like no I just came to have a look (laughs) um so that was really interesting like just seeing the different quality like grades of hair and like um they were quite all of them were really um um, secretive with how they sourced the hair (laughs) yeah just yeah so you um seeing seeing the manufacturing process live was interesting and that definitely kind of sparked my interest with the whole Wigs and the distribution model and manufacturing processes of wigs. Um, apart from that, it just, you know, made me curious and told me that like you can do random things and get away with it and learn from it.
1: It's that curiosity once again. Um, I was yeah. asked several years ago which one trait do I believe is the most essential in young people, which is very difficult because there are so many, and I decided that it would be curiosity because curiosity decides that the teacher is not the fountain of knowledge and curiosity is the one who chooses to see what could be whilst living with what is. I think it's it's the curious child which will go the extra mile. You can be extremely studious, there are many of us who are very studious, but we weren't curious possibly because we didn't have um, that upbringing of autonomy and affirmation to be curious. We simply executed the track we were given Mm-hmm. So it's it's another lesson for me and something I'm thinking about in terms of applying to the business world. Curiosity leads to asking questions and previously we spoke about how the quality of your life will be dependent upon the questions that you ask.
2: Yeah.
1: Possibly your business success also will be dependent upon the questions that you ask. So I'm, I'm curious now for you to share from your perspective, is there a spirit of entrepreneurship in you? And can it be developed by someone else
2: um so i'm definitely not the type of person who is like i want to be my own boss and i want to have autonomy over my life like i never thought that way i just have an ideal kind of lifestyle and i guess i have a i, I guess i have a progressive outlook on work and I've always been into the future of work since I was a teenager because I saw my dad commute and I never understood it ever. I thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever like two hours he spent traveling every day to get to work and it was just like ridiculous to me. Um, We lived on the outskirts of like Dublin at the time. Um, Same with like my my mom's always been like a nurse. It was a bit different for her because it was closer. But yeah, I just thought commuting was weird. I didn't want anyone dictating my time. Sometimes I wanted to sleep. And no one should be able to tell me what to do. (laughs) Um, I went to boarding school from a really young age. And um, I don't know if this is a good thing to promote, but you can get away with things. You can kind of dictate your own routine, especially the schools that I went to. Nothing was structured. Everything was malleable to some degree. So I wanted my work life to be like that. And I guess this is the only, well, it's not the only avenue, but it was the most prominent one to me right now. Like I just have things that I want to figure out. I have things that I want to use as a consumer and I have a lifestyle that I want to live and that's all curated into, I guess, entrepreneurship and then actively go out to build a company and seek a problem to solve.
1: What would you say is the difference between you and those who might say some of the things which you said in terms of they want to have an element of autonomy over their lives in terms of when they work, when they sleep, where they work, where they sleep, and those who feel that way, but don't execute. I imagine during your time in London, you've seen many who very proudly, very loudly share those views, but there's no fruit behind it. Unlike yourself who we know is rather humble, but there's fruit behind it. What would you say is the difference?
2: Thanks, (laughs) Um, I (laughs) I would say three things. You have to be delusional to some degree. You have to believe that you are the best person to execute this plan. And I don't know where the confidence comes from. I mean, yeah, maybe thanks to my mom and grandma, but you have to be delusional to some degree. And I know it sounds insane. There's probably a much better way to articulate it, but that's just what's coming to my head. Um, you have to be determined. The amount of like setbacks that I've had. My company, The Renatural is 13 months old. The amount of setbacks that I've had in the 13 months and the six months prior to developing the product and setting the company up and stuff. I just, I mean, we'll be here until, I don't know, December talking about them. If, I, if you guys let me, because honestly it's momentous and I've had more setbacks and wins and that's as a natural as a human being, you feel, the pains and the setbacks more than you do the wins, because it's like a hundred people be like, I love your product. One person could be like, Oh, it doesn't work for me. Um, I need more advice, and then it just you know ruins like everything. But and and that's something I'm learning to take the um, compliments like I do criticism. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing is privilege. Um, that's something that I really. I didn't like struggle with, but I had to come to terms with. I am lucky in the way that if, so I had to kind of sort this out with my parents because even though they are very supportive of everything that I do, they did want me to go into a more predictable career path so that I could have stability. And I thought it was because they didn't support me, but it's like, no, these are immigrants that know how hard it is to build a career and financial stability and that's all they want for you. It's not like, yeah. Yeah. So that's something I had to come to terms with. And I have parents that I have a grandma and an auntie and a mom that if everything was to go to shit, I don't know if I can swear on this, but if everything was to go to shit today, I can go back to my grandmas and be like, hey, I need to sleep in your guest room because I don't have any money. Not everyone has that, you know, and people have dependents. People my age are looking after their parents already because they're sick or because they need um, financial help people um some of my friends have kids um i have one of my friends that has like a 10 year old and like just our conversation sometimes she's like trying to get him in secondary school and i'm just like oh how do i figure out like i don't know how to figure out i don't know um how to fix something in the bathroom or something some basic like household things that she obviously has more of a grasp on than me um so like that freedom to explore and that freedom to fail to some degree like it would have been terrible if I failed I would have been I would have felt awful going back to my parents with no money or anything um but I had the chance to do that and not everyone has a chance or the I would say like um the soft underbelly like I don't know like a trampoline that if you fall you like can bounce back yeah and it is hard as a black woman um and it's not like I came from (laughs) not like I came from a family of millionaires my parents are middle class but. I still had privilege to some extent. And that's difficult for a lot of people to accept because I don't want anyone invalidating all my hard work, but it's something that must be like, acknowledged for sure.
1: It's, um, honest. it's very, very honest. Thank you. And I, I think it's, it's worthwhile just unpicking some of those snapshots that you mentioned. So that, that freedom to fail is something which we want for all of our children. So I don't think anyone can look down upon it because we want them to have that opportunity to try and fail fast and fail again if necessary. Um, You mentioned being able to be disillusional, which I agree is actually the right term because it is disillusional to think that man can fly. But if it is executed, it's brilliant. And I think you want that level of curiosity to promote someone to feel disillusional, that they can do it with affirmation that they have. You mentioned being determined and your privilege. And together, it does make sense how and why you've been able to do it. There potentially is something else. I'm not too sure what it is. Abby?
0: There's there's a lot in there. And uh, apologies, because this might not be very, very articulate. One thing that I would say listening to you, and I'd love to hear people's opinion on this, is I think risk-taking, I think being... Ambitious is a muscle that you need to exercise. I mm-hmm. think we go through life trying things and, and failing. And if we fail too often, some of us may become so disheartened that we don't try again. But my argument or my suggestion is that after we fail, if we kind of get back into it and do it again, we, we, we start to develop a resilience um, we start to develop an understanding that this is just part of the process. And the reason why I say that it's almost like a muscle is because if you're doing weight training, if you want to grow your muscles, there's a term that PTs use, which is you train to failure. You train until your muscles are exhausted until they actually can't do anymore. And when you rest and try it again, you'll find that you're actually able to lift more weight or go a further distance. And I think it's a very important lesson for entrepreneurs to share, because there is maybe this gloss in entrepreneurship from people from the outside looking in that these people have it figured out. We don't. We're just willing to fail more, I'd suggest. We're yeah. willing to, 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 to fall off the bike, scrape our knee, and we're probably just more willing to get back on the bike than other people are. We're not necessarily smarter or more intelligent, And it's back to that delusional point. We're just, we're we're, we're masochists.
1: We're willing
0: to put ourselves through that that pain more than most. And it takes me to something that you mentioned around setbacks. And I think one of the reasons why you may be comfortable to respond to your setbacks is because from your story, you've been out of your comfort zone pretty much your whole life. And as soon as you got comfortable, you decided that you want to put yourself out of your comfort zone again. And this is once again linked back to that suggestion that, you know, as soon as you start to feel uncomfortable, but you do it anyway, or you kind of rise to the challenge, it builds up your resilience and makes you more effective. Mm-hmm. So so I do have a question for you, Asia, and I think it will come from better come from you than from me, because you mentioned, some of the challenges that you face being a woman in, in an industry, which is definitely male dominated. And mm-hmm. I currently work with a lot of uh, female uh, startups, uh, female run startups. And I do notice that there are definitely challenges that as a man, I'm not experiencing firsthand. And um, I, I'm, I'm currently speaking on behalf of the women who are trying to build a, a business and are failing. In that, not in that the, the business isn't working, but they're experiencing those setbacks that you talk of. the the plans that they had have fallen through. Maybe the investment line that they had didn't necessarily work, or the the, the product that they're trying to build is isn't isn't customer friendly. Customers have given it negative feedback. Um, the manufacturer that they've identified has now decided that they want to be a diva and not give them the services that they need, all culminating in someone who feels like, I don't know whether i made the right choice. Maybe I should go back to the office job. What is your word of encouragement or your insight, maybe to share to to people who are experiencing those regular setbacks and maybe need a bit of encouragement or motivation to, to maybe move forward?
2: Um, I think if you're at that point where you're questioning um, like why you're doing that, I think you need to reassess why you're doing what you're doing and define success and what it means to you. I don't mean to sound like one of those like holistic mindset coaches because I'm far from, but you really need to define what success is because your definition of success and my definition of success are two really different things. Um, I bet they are because mine's like pretty unusual um, <laughs> so and I, I've always kind of known what my definition of success is that's why I can confidently like do things with no with little regret I mean I wouldn't say like no regret but I can do things confidently and say that it's better done um, that I experienced that and failed rather than me not experiencing that at all um, I've always known why I'm doing what I'm doing And that's what's going to motivate you. That's what's going to propel you. That's what's going to pave a way when you feel like everything is, like, crumbling. So, and people need to – a good example of this is, like, a woman who – my name is. She wanted to, she was about to raise money for her startup because she only thought she wanted to like scale um, to a different level. And then she was like, wait, hold on a second. I'm not doing well mentally. I need to take a break. Um, I want to focus on my family. I want to run the business um, in my within my own time and the business is doing like very well I mean it's still making six seven figures a year but she didn't want to reach that level of scale because of her mental health and because of what she defined success to be and that is being in a really good healthy mental state and taking care of her family at this point in time so it's just like people need to just redefine what success means to them and then realign their process and their um, goals to facilitate that that's what I would recommend I'm sorry if that's like too actionable, but that's what you need to do because running a business is not about you. It's about serving customers, it's about bringing something to market and that in turn fulfills whatever you want to get out of running a business or starting a business, in my opinion, of course.
0: Uh, (laughs) I second that. No, I I was just going to say I absolutely second that statement. I think if you are going to go into business, I'll keep it brief, you are going into an environment where you are of service. You are serving others. And I would encourage people to have their success criteria, definitely about what they want to achieve for their life. And you talked about um, having your your work operating around life, which I think is very important.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. The other thing I would say is that it's important to have a love for the people that you're serving. And if you can serve those people, even if you're not necessarily making tons of money, if that brings you value, then in my book, that's success. I agree with you. Beautiful. I'm just, I'm just
1: savoring this for a moment. Because um, there are a few things that you mentioned, which I think are extremely powerful and worth listening to again. At some point, I would love this podcast, a podcast which started during COVID to be almost labeled the podcast about failure, because it's not, as Abby mentioned, the podcast where people who've made it speak about how they made it, but it's more so people who've tried and failed speak about what didn't work and how it might have worked better and how it is working now. And I wish people had that mindset shift to believe that they could if they tried a little bit more and were willing to decide on what success is for them. Um, success is definitely subjective. And I'm, and I'm interested in asking you the question of what is success to Cassia?
2: What does success mean to me? Yes. <laughs> um, I've thought about this a lot because, obviously, I've done, I've been where that person is, and I've had, I've taken my own advice. And success to me is, um, so I want to own a lot of homes because I like residing in my own place in my favorite countries. I want to have a family. Um, being a mother seems like it's incredible to me, so I really want to have a family. Um, I really want a pet. (laughs) I want at least two dogs, a bird. (laughs) Um, I really want a small Scotch bonnet farm because in Ireland growing up, um, I don't know, maybe it's like distribution channels or something. Scotch bonnets used to be really hard to find and they're like the bane of every Nigerian meal. <laughs> but like, I never want a Scotch bonnet scarcity again, so I want to grow my own. Um, me and my dad like did a few until like we realised we couldn't like maintain the, um, the kind of heat panels. It took up a lot of electricity and my mom was complaining, but sorry I'm going off point. But yeah, that's something I really want to do because I just I would love to grow my own lemons and Scotch bonnets, just like a tiny little like you know allotment in my one of my many houses. Hopefully, <laughs> um, yeah. And I want to travel a lot and have um, a healthy, and mentally sound family that are really close and have Sunday dinners because that's something I didn't really grow up with, and I want to be around my family more growing up. Mm. Yeah. I, I want to get
1: to that area because we've spoken a great deal about what you did have. I'd love, if you're willing, for us to speak about maybe some of the things that you didn't have which you're trying to remedy. But prior to that, a little tangent. um, Scotch bonnet farms, yes. Uh, During COVID, one of the things which spiked immediately was scotch bonnets. Um,
2: Right? As as (laughs) someone
1: who loves peppers, (laughs) the price of scotch bonnets, the inflation, was ridiculous. Absolutely. I had to look you guys in the eye and say, you cannot be serious. How is this (laughs) £15? But yes, I, I, I empathise
2: there. Thank you.
0: I'm paying it. I'm paying the money. Just give me just give me the scotch bonnets. I'm paying.
2: <laughs> I'm one of my best friends growing up, had a farm. And every time me like my parents went to her, to pick me up from my house, they used to get like a bag full of apples and eggs. And I just love that. Like whenever anyone visits me in the future, they can have like a bag full of like scotch bonnets. just like, take the excess, please. Mm. Um, yeah, random success goals. But that defines a lot of other things that I want as well. But it's just like encapsulated in a scotch bonnet farm.
1: <laughs> but you know what you want. And I think it's important for those listening and for, for myself, for everyone to know exactly what they want. Because success sometimes isn't as far away as we think it is. And it's, it's crucial that we have that criteria. Call it a vision board, call it whatever you want to call it, but just know what it is. You didn't mention work and you did mention that you'd want to spend more time with family to have those family dinners on Sunday. Can, can you elaborate mm-hmm. on why that's so important to you and where that might come from?
2: Um, I think I've been in boarding school since I was like 12, 13 so um, like living away from family also when I moved to Ireland there was none of my family lived there only my parents and um, they would travel a lot anyway so I never really grew up around my family and I really like my family so I felt like I missed out on a lot um like now that I'm an adult this clearly like a relationship that I build personally with in members of my family but it's something I definitely want more of um and what was the other thing sorry what was the question before
1: so you've spoken about um how you were almost separate from your family and why it's so important um you didn't mention work in your success criteria for the future where would work play in that future
2: i may change this and if i may change this in the future um i don't encourage anyone to take after me because it might not be the healthiest way to look at work but work is very intertwined with how i like live and what i believe in so with what i'm doing now for example with the Renatural, it's an industry that i'm just so i use personally i'm involved in as a consumer and i have been for decades well okay i won't go that far for a decade um i wasn't wearing wigs at like five um it's yeah it's something that like i really want to see change so it's like it's so ingrained in like what I'm doing. I would be involved in it in that capacity. Like it's something like not even worth mentioning because it's such a key factor. Like I didn't mention the fact that I would hopefully be alive because obviously it's so obvious. I would hope that I'm alive. Um, it might be a terrible analogy to make and I might have a really bad work life balance, but I mean, we'll see things are going well for now. Um, maybe we'll come back to that in the future.
1: You love your industry and there's no shame in that. There's there's no shame in loving your industry. And maybe at some point in the coming weeks, Abby and I can speak about some of the challenges we've had in terms of loving certain things and maybe not willing to give them up when Mm -hmm. everyone around you is just saying, well, you should really give this up. Um, I remember the first time we spoke or met years back, I remember being shocked at how much you knew London Virgin Hair. (laughs) Um, I remember you saying that you would actually purchase from us. And I thought... This girl is actually a a wig fiend. She she loves (laughs) a wig. Where does that come from? Is it the the convent where you had to have certain hairstyles, and you just decided actually when you come of age you're going to do it the way you want? Where where does that come from?
2: I actually have never thought about it that way until now. (laughs) Surprisingly, Um, I. I I don't think so. I think and during A levels I just was obsessed with YouTube and I used to watch a lot of YouTube videos and try and imitate them. Um and that just made me really creative with like makeup and hair and stuff. And it's not something I ever wanted to do because I just don't like touching people. <laughs> I don't like so I couldn't be a hairstylist. Um and it also didn't I had to actually like work to be a hairstylist. It's not something unless you had products or something. So I knew that wasn't an avenue I wanted to take necessarily but I'm just obsessed with the industry yes but with the lack in the industry with the white space in the industry that is what I'm like obsessed with I'm just like how are there 150 million people that wear wigs three times a week and we're still using the same products from 1939 used in French theatre like how (laughs) you know so yeah I mean, when I'm, my mum bought this face cream and it's like made out of tilapia skin and it's sourced from some lake in Oman somewhere. And it's just like, look at the extent that we explore and um, um, we study like beauty products. Like why why are wigs like always the ugly sister of the industry? Even though it's growing faster than skincare at 16.4% year over year and skincare is growing at 8%. Yet skincare gets like all the innovation All the hype. yeah PR and stuff yeah just the, the the lack, the white spacing industry I'm like obsessed with you go on about it <laughs> I shouldn't
1: speaking about innovation um the Renatural was really launched by the wig fix I know that you've got the new products coming and I, I know that you spent time ensuring that the product or the wig fix was secure um <laughs> literally but also um legally in terms of painting. Uh, mm-hmm. Why was that so important to you?
2: um This is from a purely a business standpoint. Um, patents are like having a lunchbox in a lunchroom, and you can imagine you're in primary school and everyone has their little slots. I don't know if you have that in primary school, and then you put your lunchbox in there, and the teacher closes the door. Anyone can still go in that room and take anyone's lunchbox, but everyone knows that that's hassie's lunchbox. Because it's in the HACIA slot. So, a patent is a bit like that. Like, you have to actually enforce a patent for it to be effective. So, it's great having a patent because it deters a lot of copycats, but then you have to actually enforce it. And that can be far more expensive than the patent itself. And the patent itself can run into tens of thousands of pounds. Um, so, you have to, I think, in this day and age, especially because we're heavily online, I mean, we're solely online right now. Um, it's important to think innovatively on how to protect your brand online. So that involves um, trademarking because that really enforces all your DMCA takedowns and your trademark. Um, yeah. So trademarking and then having like a online brand protection software that can source all of your content and source the wig fix or anything to do with the wig fix and be like, is this yours? Yes. And then take it down and file the claim automatically. That's important to have um, Chinese border control is getting a lot better. So if you file your trademark in China, you can also get it enforced at the border there. And that's something we're in the process of doing and um, enforcing yeah, your trademark and your design, your copy, your design, right, in different countries that you're like most notably in. So for us, it's the UK and US. So that's where we have like the most like legal protections. But online, um, I would say that's like, it's like raining outside and that's like the umbrella and then like your raincoat and your boots are like brand building. Anytime anyone has talks about it or someone posts our content without tagging us, someone's like, Oh, that's the Renatural. That's the wig fix. Yeah. I, I have that. Yeah. I've seen that. And that's the best thing when you have people that would defend your brand, even before you see something. Um,
1: that is yeah, a thing of social media that they will flag when someone else is posting your image. So now oh. that's like, to us twice in the last four days and i yeah. think potentially offline i'm probably gonna have a conversation with you about that trademarking because we've recently discovered a company going by the name london virgin hair which is just fascinating sure. um but yeah it's, it's it was just exhilarating hearing you speak about the necessity of doing that just to protect yourself and i think the lunchbox analogy is a perfect one because it mm-hmm. it secures what is yours within the room but mm-hmm
2: exactly there are many people
1: who want to go into the room
2: exactly and i mean when it comes down to it it can be really discouraging but i mean no one copies from failing brands so mm-hmm. let's remember that first of all
0: <laughs> um, Abby, one, one thing i know about you asia is you definitely have a heart for young entrepreneurs um actually that's not true you have a heart for all entrepreneurs in in the industry you're very forthcoming with information to to help build other startups you're very forthcoming with with support and advice about how other companies can grow their brand so i do want to ask you one question in a moment about who in the who in our industry is currently killing it um because i know that you 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 scan far and wide and I know that you keep an eye on who's doing well and you give credit where credit is due. But before I ask you that question, I'd really like to get your uh, perspective on being a black female entrepreneur in the UK at the moment. What is the landscape like for you? What is the landscape like for women like you? And are there any um, opportunities that, people in your position need to be taking hold of with both hands in order to grow?
2: Um, so I'll start with the uh, second question.
0: Go for it. The
2: Black female in the UK. I, so I don't go to like many events because I just, I mean, you can't really right now. <laughs> but before, <laughs> I mean, every, like every time I went to an event, I would literally meet a woman that I would like absolutely fall in love with like it's such a vibrant like they're not I guess they're not many of us on the like grand scale of things but there's so many people doing incredible things like it's it is like invigorating like I won't describe myself as an extrovert but I definitely feel like energized and inspired every time like I'm around like just there's like really open and friendly women that just understand, like without you even saying anything. It they you they understand and every like every interaction is like a sigh of relief. Um mm. decompressed in a really um non-confrontational, non confrontational, um, non competitive space, I feel, even if you are in the similar industry. Um and someone that I think is killing it. So this isn't this isn't um I think this is quite far-stretched. It's in the hair industry, if that counts. Yeah, sure, that counts. Cool. Um, I love Function of Beauty. <laughs> it's a brand that I'm, like, obsessed with because of just their the way they innovate um, and their model. Um, so I don't know if you guys know a Function of Beauty.
0: No, no. Tell, tell us.
2: Um, so it's basically a sorry it's basically a brand where you go on their site and then you answer a few questions I think it's five now and they formulate a shampoo conditioner or different products based on your needs and um, your texture of hair your age what you want out of your hair um, so everything is unique to you
0: Brilliant. and you
2: can even, like customize it with like your name on the bottle and everything and it's like they have over 12 million different formulas now and I just think that is like incredible i think personalization and customization is like the future of beauty and they're really i mean they took one of the hardest um kind of just like uh, manufacturing models and they're building it so efficiently and um they definitely like try to expand more into black hair types um they're working with like i noticed these things (laughs) so um when they first started and i ordered from them like it was very um i don't want to say white but it was very two to three texture type hair no four a for b four c i would say um but now it's a bit different and i would say i can i'm a testament to their products i'm not like promoting them or anything i just like to love their model and i actually really like the product um yes yeah, so i find that super interesting and in that everything is unique to the customer and like i can i can imagine how like their labs and factories and speed. um you can even choose the color of your former as well which is like crazy like the amount of chemistry that goes into that is like unfathomable. So, yeah, that's a that's a business that I'm really like fascinated with. Want to see how they develop because wet products are very difficult.
0: Amazing. I I I I love the why. So the reason why I asked you that question is because I knew the the who wouldn't be as interesting as the why, and the why is there are so many lessons in. a a brand um that that like that and this this company is getting a a free plug right now and credit to them because they're innovating um you 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 talked about the idea of customization and customer-centric or customer-driven solutions which is the future it's the future of every single industry um some industries it's easier to implement than others but as consumers as people who are paying more and more money, uh, for, for, for our, our, our solutions. We want to be feel tailored for, we want bespoke offerings, whether it's our medicine, whether it's the cars we drive, whether it's the clothes we wear, we want that for us. And seeing a company being able to provide a solution in a very difficult market to provide bespoke offerings, um, is, is, is absolutely fantastic. And also, I think the other takeaway for me is where they are in the value chain. And uh, the the reason why I think that's important is because many entrepreneurs, when they step into the entrepreneurial game, the first thing that they do is potentially become a third-party retailer. My first business, I was 13 years old, 12, 13, and I went to Tesco. I bought one pound... Worth of donuts and sold them for 30p each, making myself a two pound profit, which was not bad. What would have made me even more profit is if I was making the donuts myself. And seeing people understand the value of manufacturing, building, designing themselves, and getting it out there is really impressive to me. And anybody who's taking on that challenge, because it is damn hard, uh, gets my respect. For
2: sure. That is so sweet, the donut story. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Many of us had humble beginnings there. Um, hopefully, most of us were smart with what we made. I, I remember purchasing sweets from E Street Market. Shout out to my East, um, South London Massive. And mm-hmm. making a profit at the end of the day, but then spending the profit in the corner store. So yeah. I think there's something amiss in my entrepreneurial education. Um, as we get close to closing, um, I I've, I've really, really appreciated your time. I, I am interested in you sharing an answer to what Abby mentioned previously in terms of uh, advice that you would be giving to people in your position. So in this climate of COVID, of lockdown, there are many um, black women who are interested in starting something. What advice would you give them? And also what extensive lessons, even though there have been many? which ones come to mind which you would share with them
2: expensive lessons i would say so i didn't actually spend the money but it was still a lesson (laughs) i was very close to it it was actually not money it was equity in my business um someone changed their offer from I think it was five to 20% for the same amount of money and I was in a really tight corner and I was generally thinking about it but I decided to just not do it Um, and it was a big risk to me but I mean it worked out in the end but that was like I mean I know how it feels like to be like stuffed into a corner and like you have to take a decision but just remember that those kind of decisions will taint your business for years to come. That is a union that's stronger than a marriage. I've never been married, but like, it really is. I mean, that person has access to all your financial information and legally can, you know? Um, But I mean, in the UK, there are a lot of like parameters, like because of SEIS, but that's like a whole different conversation, but yeah, it's a big decision. So like, yeah, just don't take decisions like that lightly. And in in the times that we're in i mean everyone is very melancholy with everything going about like when this first started people were like really worried and i think that i was a bit desensitized because i do still have friends in korea who were freaking out about this in december and were warning me that this is a serious problem and i should take this seriously it's going to like spread because if it's already like affecting korea at that time um, it's definitely going to affect the UK because <laughs> as we've shown we have um, we're not as capable as dealing with um, threats such as that <laughs> um, but I was always really optimistic I kind of saw that people would be leaning to um, online resolutions more and that's kind of shown with e-commerce I mean our industry is technically booming I mean if you take purchasing power it's change from 13 to 30 percent in the last four months to from on online to i mean from offline to online that is insane there's so many more people shopping online so many more customers to target um and like all these bigger corporations they say are spending less on advertising and marketing that um that's great for brands that can afford to spend things um sort spend money on marketing and things because I mean the cost of um like Facebook ads and Instagram ads Pinterest ads TikTok Snapchat they're all lower and um at this moment it's probably gonna like bounce back in the next few months but I mean it's a great time to take advantage of just a change and people um are always looking for things like self-improvement products those industries have always been booming I've been obsessed with like a company called Touchland like hand sanitizer And I've known about them for like two years now and to see them just have like a huge boom. And I mean, this is like no one could have foreseen this. You know, they couldn't plan a global pandemic, you know, Um, so some businesses are really thriving. Um, There's Bippy as well, which is toilet roll. So all these like kind of D2C brands that have been doing well, but have really like taken off due to the pandemic, Um, just being inspired by different stories like that. yeah, just stay stay um, optimistic when everyone is being, like, pessimistic and you'll go far I'm back to the delusion.
0: Agreed. That is the spirit of
1: entrepreneurship. That optimism during any time period is what makes entrepreneurs entrepreneurs. I would like to believe that leaders are not born, that you can cultivate attributes of leadership. Mm -hmm. and i'd like to believe that you can learn how to be an entrepreneur however from what you have shared with us there are certain fundamental ingredients which we need to almost be given in our formative years and our early years Mm
2: -hmm. so that
1: we can build upon them Um, now if people are listening to this and they like me did not have those do not worry you can still foster them um, artificially you can seek the the knowledge, the insight, the experience—you can listen to podcasts, you can read books, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can ensure that you are around those who have what Asia has. But it's something for us to learn from. I've learned a great deal as a father and as an entrepreneur. Um, so I thank you for joining us, Asia It has been an absolute pleasure.
2: Thank you. um I feel like I have to say this. In addition to your last point, there's so many different elements that I think that um, make you a good entrepreneur. So I think everyone has at least a few of those elements, but it's just about cultivating them. Yes. So, yeah, I do think if you're not like born with it, like you said, you're definitely born with some elements. You're like one of the most organized and like logical thinking people that I've met and very like, um, I can't think of the word, but that's
0: that's fine. You can do, don't need to boost his head at all. It's fine. No. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's that was both of us. He's all right. He's okay.
2: <laughs> you guys are lucky to have each other.
1: Listen, okay. we're trying to keep a hold of us here. Um, we keep on stumbling across one another every year or two, um, and I think it's it's refreshing because it's, it's teaching me that actually I need to stick around entrepreneurs. Uh, at the beginning of COVID, um, Abby and I had a conversation and one of my strategies was that actually I'm going to reach out to people I know who are also on this side. I've spent a great deal of time speaking to people who are on the other side, i.e. models or suppliers, et cetera, et cetera. But Mm. really the people who are on this side, the, the company directors, the consultants are the ones who are also going through the same thoughts, challenges, um, that energizes me in the same way that you're energized by those events where you see those women who are sharing their innovative products. I'm energized by speaking to company directors who are sharing their wins, their failures, their lessons, um, and seeing you build a Lara Jasmine, taking that to where you took it and building the renatural, um, and having you as someone who is always willing to share, like, I'm not saying this simply because she's on the line, <laughs> Asia has sent me pages of stuff in the past, <laughs> pages where i thought, okay, I need to like timetable a slot to actually read through all of this. You are very keen on sharing what you know, so I do look forward to when you do share you more. I know that you're a little bit like us where you hide behind your business, um, but the, the time is coming when Asia will be Asia. So I'm, I'm pleased to say that we knew her before she was Asia. before you had to speak to her.
0: Wow. That's very sweet. <laughs> Thank you. Abby? Um, Just to, to close out and say that I, I really enjoyed getting to know uh, you, Asia, more. Uh, I think it's very interesting to hear um, your, your story in a bit more detail and also to talk about something that maybe you undersold about yourself during this whole discussion and it's also a very important element of being successful, which is you work hard, <laughs> um, you work extremely hard, and what, one of the things that you said earlier was that you know you don't really have a clear distinction between work and life, and that you want your your experience as as, as a worker or in, in work to almost intertwine uh, with, with with your experience in in life in general, and it's very clear that you do what you love. Because you're always doing it, and just another note of encouragement to people listening, which is, in order for you to truly realise your potential, especially in the early days, you can't be afraid uh, to put in the hours. Um, And if you're struggling to put in the hours, then similar to what Asiya said earlier, um, you might need to reassess your success criteria, because it may mean that if you don't want to put in the hours then it's not actually something worth doing for you. Oh. Um, so really encouraged by, by what I've heard today. Um, really looking forward to, to hearing who this episode touches, because I believe it's going to touch a lot of people and what kind of feedback we get back. And also looking forward to having you on again, Asya
2: yeah definitely thank you guys for like asking me to do this it's out of my comfort zone but i mean we've discovered that's where i like to be so
1: (laughs) happily asia where can people find you if they want to reach out to you we have um the the vast majority of our listeners are female so i imagine they have been really inspired by you and your story and where can Mm -hmm. people find you if they wanted to reach out
2: um, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm super responsive. Um, so that's Hassia Jasmine, A-A-S-I-Y-A-H, Jasmine with an E. Um, yeah. And you can email me at com as well.
1: Brilliant. Well, Hasia, once again, thank you ever so much for visiting us on Expensive Lessons. You shared so, so, so many lessons. Again, invaluable lessons for me in the stage of life that I'm in, and hopefully for our listeners today. Um,
0: Abby, final words? Well, if you were listening to this and you were encouraged by any of the things that were said, let this be the beginning of your journey. If you're already somewhere along your journey and you've reached a roadblock, let this be the beginning of your transformation. We look forward to hearing from you. We look forward to you sharing your stories and we look forward to next week where we'll have another great episode. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone. Take care.